Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Netflix, no iPads, no Instagram, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. You said carry her, and then hijinks ensued, and we all had a good laugh. Wait a minute, am I in the right podcast? What is this? Are you doing the cold open from Half Hour Wasted? <laughs> uh, I guess I was. This is the Walking Dead episode. Uh, I'm shoot. This is. I'm sorry. You just said Half Hour Wasted. None of this is getting edited out, by the way. <laughs> hey, I had to plug Half Hour Wasted. Come on, that's how you open every show. I don't open every show like that. Oh, you mean the what? Yeah. If you haven't listened to Half Hour Wasted, good for you. You've probably saved yourself lots of regret. Welcome to the Walking Dead TV podcast. This is Brad, and with me is Jim uh, Apache Chef Dietz and little Jordan, what's-his-face, Esquire from Jersey. I'm, I'm not that literally little, but okay. just went blank on your blank on your last name. I literally had a brain fart on your last name. I know it now, but just a second ago... I literally could not remember your last name. I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> okay. That's You kinda you kinda gone off the deep end like Rick did in this episode. And that's I'm glad oh, you yes. picked up on that because I did all that on purpose. What are you doing? I did here? all that on purpose. Uh what episode are we on? Episode eighty two of the podcast. How are you guys doing tonight? Fantabulous. Jim, how are you? I'm just swell, thanks. Welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, Walking Dead T V show. We've missed you. And uh, I, for one, am glad to get the season back underway. We have a couple of emails that uh, Johnny M. was uh, kind enough to forward to us. He is uh, unable to join us tonight. Let me read through these really quick. These are emails referencing uh, the current episode. What What is it called? I actually forget. The title of the episode is The Suicide King. It's uh, Season 3, Episode 9. The Suicide King. Okay, I can't right off the top of my head figure out why it's called that. Maybe you can explain it to me later, but let's get to... Uh... I can explain it right now if you'd like. The deck of cards, the king of hearts, it looks like he's putting a... Uh, he has a sword up in the air and it looks like he's stabbing himself in the in the head. They call it the suicide king because it looks like he's committing suicide, and that king only has one eye on the card. Ah. So it's referring to the governor. I got. I like it. I get it. And I, I actually do remember... Um, hearing about that. Don't all of the face cards have a suicide character? I think Jacks have two. Or they have two one-eyed Jacks, anyway. Right. Anyway, our first email is from Kent. He says, I thought last night's Walking Dead episode was a real good, but not great, episode. Probably would give it 8 of 10 Lori's Ghosts, 
By the way, did you catch the two Walker cameos? Number one I caught, number two I didn't. Number one is Heinz Ward, as they were escaping Woodbury. That was a pretty blatant uh, look-at-me shot, didn't you guys think? I honestly did not even notice it. He, for me, I mean, he's very recognizable to me, obviously, because I live in Pittsburgh. But, uh, you know, it's almost like he, he, he might as well have walked up and said, Hi, I'm Heinz Ward. The only reason I knew that was Heinz Ward is because of his cameo in uh, the, uh, the Dark Knight Rises and all the, you know, the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff we had seen about that. But Because um, I'm not a Pittsburgh fan. I don't live in Pittsburgh, obviously. But I recognized him immediately. Um, the second one they said... Uh, he says it sure as hell looked like Greg Nicotero, who Andrea shot after the very brief Zed attack on Woodbury. Zed attack? Oh, zombie attack. That was indeed Greg Nicotero. This is actually the second time she has killed him as a zombie, because he was the zombie who ate uh, Andrew, er, Amy as well. Oh, that's right. Uh, he says, finally, loving Glenn's badassery, Carl's leadership, Herschel's caretaking, Carol's improvement, Rick's craziness, Tyrese's diplomacy... And Beth's final usefulness. Beth's final usefulness. Oh, taking care of the baby, of course. Uh, hating Michonne's silence, the governor's lack of badassness villainy, Rick's bigotry, and Lori's won't-go-awayness. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Kent from Kentucky. Um, Rick's bigotry. Do you think Rick displayed bigotry, or do you just think, as we saw later on, he's just going crazy and trying to protect what he knows. Probably the second one. I mean, if he had walked up and sh uh, shook the hands of Alan and Ben and then ignored Tyrese and Sasha, yeah, sure, you could say that's bigoted. But I think in this particular case, he's got more important things on his mind than uh, the color of anybody's skin. Plus, we've never seen anything from him that would imply that he's in any way racist. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he never... Um, he doesn't trust Michonne, and it has nothing to do with the fact that she's black. And, you know, he... He obviously trusted T Dog, so I don't think I don't think there was any bigotry on on Rick's part um, at all. Uh, might as well go ahead and bring up your uh, Facebook post earlier in the day. And obviously, if you're listening to this episode, you more than likely have seen uh, last night's Walking Dead. Last night, as we are recording this, so you know about the end and the ghost at the end. We can all assume it's Lori's ghost. And I liked your Facebook post about what do you want to refer to this ghost as? Um, do you remember your suggestions? Well, sure. I had some suggestions, and then the listeners had suggestions as well. So, And, and I should say that Leslie Johnson, uh, Leslie pointed out that it's not actually a ghost, it's a hallucination, So, and I fully respect that. But So I came up with Lori Geist, Head Lori, if you're a Battlestar Galactica fan, Glory, which would be short for Ghost Lori, uh, Aaron Newarth, uh, our buddy from Out Now with Aaron and Abe, sent in Ghost Lori, The White Queen, I Ain't Afraid of No Lori, Dead Lori, Crazy Lori, <laughs> Uneaten Lori, Cream, Clean Lori, Demon Lori, Lori the Angel of Death, comma, Rick's Lori. Uh, Terry sent in uh, Phantasmaloria, which I liked quite a bit. Uh, I then added Lore Whom the Bell Tolls. Uh, Terry also then sent in Gory Lori, uh, Glorious, and Ghost Story Lori. Uh, Brian just wanted Lori. Uh, we've got Glory. We've got Incorporeal. Uh, OMG, she nags me from beyond the grave, Lori. And of course, Leslie also said because it's hallucination, perhaps hallorination. So I, I liked all of those. Um, I think probably Glory will, will work simply because it's the shortest and the one I'm least likely to stutter over. That was my 
uh, favorite, and I, I honestly think it's the most clever because it's simplest. Uh, I, I am a fan of OMG, She Nags Me From Beyond the Grave or whatever that was. That's a pretty good that one. That was but... from our friend Elisa. Yeah, Glory rolls off the tongue. Jim, Jim, which one do you prefer? I think Glory will probably be the one that gets used a lot. It was interesting, though. We kind of called this, I think, on an earlier episode. We noticed that they kept uh, Sarah Wayne Callie's name in the opening credits, even after she had died. That we, you know, we kind of surmised that she might come back in some way after the phone call episode. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think we kind of saw that in some way Laurie would be coming back to, you know, to not to, you know, literally haunt uh, Rick, but you know, not in this way anyway. But uh, do you yeah, think, think it was Laurie... literally Sal, Sal, uh, Sarah Wayne Callies, or do you think it was just a stand-in? Because it was definitely in shadow. Well, I watched it again, and and I tell you what, it it really did look like her to me. Um, I increased the brightness brightness on my monitor a bit, and if it wasn't Sarah Wayne Callies, I would be real surprised. I I honestly think that was her, and they they hit her. You could see a little bit of her facial features. If it wasn't her, it was her twin sister. Okay, and and most likely we're not done with the storyline, so there's a decent chance we will see this person again, and probably in a better light. We can hit some more of these high points when you run us through the episode too, Jordan. So why don't you say we get to that right now? Engage. Number one. Uh, Season 3, Episode 9, The Suicide King. We start right where we ended at the end of the first half of the season. Daryl and Merle are in the zombie arena, uh, surrounded by everybody from Woodbury, and they're ordered to fight to the death. Uh, They fight. You know, Andrea puts up a little bit of an argument with the governor, but, you know, he just tosses her aside, essentially. And we have a brief fight between the Dixon brothers. Uh, They bring in zombies to surround them. But the brothers start punching the zombies, and at the same time, Rick and Maggie come in from uh, the outside of the town, and they start firing shots at the people, and they uh, drop a smoke bomb in, and that gives a chance for them, Daryl, and Merle to escape through the smoke. Well, they're able to also uh, capitalize on the walkers that they tried to introduce into the fight as well by setting them free, you know, to add to the general chaos. So they're able to you know, move under the cover of smoke. But this is the second time now. That, you know, uh, Rick and his group and Andrea have been separated by a smoke cloud for dramatic purposes. It's your least expensive uh, plot device available, I suppose. And and at least this, just like in the last time, it makes sense. I mean, it's not like a smoke cloud came out of nowhere. A smoke grenade made tactical sense in this situation. So I can, I can forgive it on both counts, I think. So I have a comment about the Woodbury scenes. Um... But I'm wondering if I'll save it. Yeah, I'm, you know what? I'm going to save it after we talk about some more of the Woodbury scenes because I think once those are in our mind, it might be easier to say yes or no, you agree with me or not. So, let, yeah, I'll save it. Alrighty. Uh, we should also mention that as Rick and group leave the uh, Woodbury behind, some zombies get in through the gates as well. So not only do you have the zombies from the arena, but you also have some uh, some extra zombies coming in. That was a really nice-looking zombie, by the way, S- trying to squeeze in that the breach in the wall. I, I liked the uh, makeup job on that one. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and you know what else I liked? It was a nice touch. At the beginning of the episode, the governor's eye was not bleeding, but as it as it went on over the, the minutes, you could see a little blood trickling out from under his eye patch, and the blood smear got a little longer, a little longer. That was a real nice uh, attention to detail. And he had some cool supervillain shots, too, of him walking through the smoke just with a smile on his face. 
Uh, yeah. You know, he was in his element. Yeah, like everything is going to, to chaos and hell around him, and he's just calmly walking through. So Rick and Maggie, Daryl, and Merle make it back to the car where Glenn and Michonne are waiting for them. Uh, but they quickly start arguing about Merle because they, uh, most of them do not want him there. And so eventually, uh, Daryl says, okay, fine, blood's thicker than water. If he can't come, I'm not coming back either. And Daryl and Merle walk off into the woods, leaving the rest of the group to go back to the prison. I was going to say, there's that great line where Daryl's like, Merle's blood, and, and Glenn's like, your blood, <laughs> you know? I mean, because Glenn just obviously just got worked over, and, you know, is he's, I mean, we find out later in the episode he still thinks his girlfriend was raped by the governor, all felicitated, you know, facilitated by Merle. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it was obvious they were, they were going to, you know, their sparks were going to fly. I was actually um, pleasantly surprised and shocked that uh, he said, uh, okay, it's it's both of us or none of us, and he took off. You know, I didn't, I didn't expect that, actually. So, whenever I'm surprised by anything on TV, it's it's pleasant. Well, one, one thing about this that, that kind of stuck with me that, that kind of bothered me is that there's two different times in this episode, and this will be one, and later on when we get to it, I'll, I'll mention it again. It, I mean, it's obvious that Daryl and Merle are going to come back. You know, Daryl is, like, one of the most popular characters, if not the most popular character on the show. You know, for him and Merle to wander off or whatever, you know they're either going to, you know, come back to Woodbury, come back to the prison, and be involved in the story somehow. So, you know, for them to say, okay, we're leaving or whatever, it's just like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? I mean, I know they'll be back. Right. Yeah, over on the Facebook group, uh, Luke's had posted the comment, and you can find, of course, our Facebook group by searching WDTV Podcast on Facebook.com. Uh, Luke said, In an ideal world, we would now get an absence of the Dixons, making their return all the more sweet when it happens down the line. Imagine going weeks without seeing them. Assuming they are completely gone, then at the most pivotal moment during an attack, see an arrow go through someone's head. Ta-da! Look who's back. But that'll never happen. The writers know they would lose their audience if both Dixons were removed from the show longer than a week. Pity, really. Yeah, agreed. I would hope that they'd have the stomach to follow through with having them gone at least one episode. Well, but, not to spoil, but they are in the previews for next week. Yeah, but with other characters? No, no, no. I'm assuming that they will be separated for a while, but we won't like we won't be missing them from the episode at least not next week. Well, that's that's acceptable. I just um I when I said it I was thinking not in the episode at all, but I was meaning it in the sense of interacting with our the rest of our cast, but... And I agree completely with you. You know, if they're in next week's... If we see the next two or three weeks' worth of episodes and get the Dixons, but alone on, you know, their own adventures, that that's fine with me. I'd prefer that, actually, because I like the Dixons. I, everybody likes the Dixons. That's why I don't see them being more than a few episodes out on their own before they're folded back into the bigger story. Right. So, back at the prison, we have Herschel, Beth, and Axel, and they're visiting the newcomers, who again are Tyrese, Sasha, Alan, and Ben. And we don't see Donna, who was uh, Ben's mother and Alan's wife, so we can we weren't 100% sure, I don't think, when we last saw her, whether or not they followed through on killing her uh, after she was bitten, but it, it appears and it is verified later on during the episode that they indeed did that. I wonder who's holding Donna now. Is that a song reference? Yeah, obscure '80s song reference. Um, I really, before we um, you know get too far into the meat of the episode or whatever, uh, as far as his part of it, I really have to single out Scott Wilson in this episode. His acting is just really 
put the show back you know over the top for me, especially in this episode. Him, his talk with Tyrese, his talk with Glenn while he's patching up Glenn, and then and then talking, and, and also you know later when he he calls Rick out on his bad decision, you know, just time after time when he's on the screen, it's just really well acted and really. I mean, he's really uh, you know rising above. I, I think a lot of the other. I mean, not that. I've gone off on tangent here. I'm just saying I really thought his acting was was exemplary this episode. I would agree 100%. I really enjoyed him. I also want to shout out the uh, special effects crew for making it really look like he lost part of his leg. It was really well done, I thought. I mean, I look at that stuff because that's you know what I've done my whole life. So I was really pleased. So Tyrese gives, well, I think it was Tyrese, but someone from the group gives more information about their group. They said they were from a group of 25 before their camp was overrun about six to seven weeks ago. And uh, they, like you said, they, they seem to be getting along fairly well, but you know, Carl keeps them locked up. And Herschel tells Tyrese not to get too comfortable because the decision for them to stay is not his to make. Tyrese asks who it's up, who it's up to, but Herschel does not answer and leaves their cell. Later on, Alan says, look who's guarding the place. It's just, you know, some old lady and a little boy. We should rush them, take their guns, and take over. This is when they're taking Donna's body out to uh, to bury her. But uh, Tyrese and Sasha step up, say that there's no way we're doing that. These are nice people. And when, I believe it was Axel and Beth, bring out um, some tools for them to bury Donna, Tyrese and Sasha grab them before Alan and Bed can, so they can't use them as weapons, and they proceed on their way. I really liked that um, that little scene when they hop in front and prevent, you know, the guys from getting the weapons. I thought that was real nice. Although I would have loved to see the scene where they had tried to attack Carl and Carol and they wiped the floor with them. Because you are not going to overpower Carl, let alone Carol these days. It wouldn't have made any sense for them to try because, okay, they've got a pitchfork and a shovel. Well, the other's got guns. What do you think's going to, you know, you don't bring a pitchfork to a gunfight. So we head back to Rick and the group. Glenn starts arguing with Rick, and he says, you know, you forced Daryl away. Uh, you, sh- you didn't even try to kill the governor. You should have done that. Uh, you just made a bad situation work. And I believe it was Jim brought it up earlier. He definitely, it's implied that he is still under the impression that, um, that Maggie was raped, or at least he's taking her, uh, her attack much more seriously than she is, at least outwardly. I'm sure she's feeling it as well, but he's the one who's really emoting it. Uh, and so, so he has this argument with Rick and Maggie suggests they talk things over after they get back and have some rest. And Glenn says he's done talking. Yeah. We get that scene where he opens the car door and the, the Walker pulls, you know, falls out pretty much. And, uh, Glenn just stomps him way more than he should, way more than he needs to. You know what I mean? He has a lot of anger, and a lot of resentment built up, and uh, he just basically lets it all lets Rick take the full brunt of it here. You think it's possible to smash a human skull with just your leg and foot? After it's rotten, maybe. I mean, we we've seen throughout the show that zombie skulls seem to be very, very soft. Well, with a crowbar, yeah, or a shovel, yeah, but you're. But you're they were even it. able to take like just regular. Uh, pocket knives and stab them through zombies' heads fairly easily. That's true. It's just one of those conceits of the show. So, back at Woodbury, uh, the governor's in his apartment, no one's seen him for a while, and uh, the residents of Woodbury are getting very agitated. Uh, A few of them drive their cars up to the gates with a large crowd beside them, and they want to leave, but the, uh, the guards say that under no circumstances are you allowed to leave, 
and there's zombies outside, so they start shooting them. And that's when uh, the zombies that we saw getting in before uh, attack a man out back behind the group, so they're, they're not able to save him. Andrea comes over and shoots at least one of them, maybe both of the zombies. I forget if someone else helped her. Uh, she looks over at the man who's been bitten, and she can't bring herself to shoot him. And that's what, at that point, the governor comes out of his apartment, strides over, shoots him right in the head, and walks back inside. Yeah, there, Andrea shoots both of them. In fact, it's a really cool part uh, in this scene where she shoots one and then realizes that she's out of bullets or her gun jammed or something and she has to change uh, magazines and she changes it just in time to shoot the second one. What I don't understand is why she wouldn't shoot the guy. Is it because she didn't want to shoot a live person in front of the town? The town has to know that once you've been bitten, you've got to be put out of your misery. I mean, don't you think that's what Karen, apparently her name's Karen because we heard it twice, don't you think that's what Karen meant by somebody help him? I don't know, man. I mean, these people have been behind these walls for so long. They're pampered. They're soft. Maybe they have forgotten the realities about it. Plus, I mean, just remember just until a couple episodes ago, the governor thought he could cure his own daughter. You know, I mean, they probably a lot of these people don't have the uh, uh, the you know the firsthand experience with you know people being bitter or whatever that uh, you know the, the Rick's group has or, or Andrea has. That's why it seemed like Andrea was the only one that was quick enough to act. You know what I mean? The rest of the Woodbury people just kind of stood there and watched the whole thing go down. And then they're like, "Somebody do something!" You know, they don't seem like they're the very proactive types. Not to mention, they were willing to venture out into the wilderness outside of Woodbury, where they knew there were zombies. So they clearly, even if they were aware of uh, this guy's inevitable fate, they were still not thinking clearly enough to care at that point. I think more evidence is that of that is at, in the beginning in the scene in the pit when Daryl and Daryl and or Daryl and Merle are fighting, and then they bring out the walkers and the you know the little uh, neck deals. Then when the people saw the walkers walk out they just kind of went oh look here's walkers you know they did i'd been like running out of there i don't care how safe you feel because you've got the guy on a on a leash i'm getting the heck out of there you know and these townspeople watching the fight were just like oh here come the walkers it's no big deal i'll back up so you don't step on my feet when you're walking by with a walker it's not because i'm afraid of the walker you know what i mean it was just like really nonchalant the way they acted so maybe you're right maybe they're just like so blinded by their little haven that they live in that they've lost touch. Yeah, the governor has that line to Andre. He's like, you know, these people have had it too good, picnics and barbecues, that ends now. You know, so, I mean, there's definitely a paradigm shift in his thinking. But, you know, compared to Rick's uh, group at the prison or what have you, it seemed like Rick's group was a lot more hardened and had dealt with a lot more loss than the people of Woodbury and, and were able to deal with it and were kind of more jaded to the situation. Plus, I mean, the shooting the, shooting the guy who was bit... That's to say, that looked to me like something that something that Rick himself would have done, too. You know what I mean? It's kind of showing me that Rick and the governor are both at the same moral quandary right now where they're willing to cross the line and, and, and realize that, you know, someone who's been bitten is, is needs to be written off. You know what I mean? Carl's at that point, too. It seems like some of them are. But then the Woodbury people seem like because they've been pampered and had, you know, electricity and, and their barn dances and barbecues or whatever, that they really have gone, you know, to the normal, back to the normal world mindset. I mean, I think that's, you know, Jordan, you say they, they're willing to go out in the, the world where the zombies are or whatever. I think they've kind of forgotten how dangerous it was out there, or maybe they never even knew. You know what I mean? Quite possibly, yeah. 
So was one of these two zombies that Andrea dispatched, was one of them Greg Nicotero? Yeah, it was the one with the longer hair, which is okay. always kind of the giveaway for me because he's got that. It's not a bad haircut. It's just very shaggy. It's very recognizable if you know what he looks like. Okay. I didn't recognize him, and I know what he looks like, so obviously it was good makeup. Oh, yeah, it was definitely good makeup. I, I literally could – I was only about 50% sure that it was him until I watched Talking Dead and they verified it, but it was the hair that was the giveaway for me. Well, why don't we take a step back from the episode for a second, and Jim, why don't you tell the fine listeners about our fine sponsor tonight? Well, our fine sponsor tonight and most nights is uh, DCBService.com. Uh, DCBS, they have the best deals on the internet as far as your comics, graphic novels, uh, cool geeky t-shirts, uh, action figures, Omnibuy, compendiums, or what have you. And they have a lot of great uh, deals coming up in this February. Uh, first off, they are doing all DC and Marvel trades and hardcovers for pre-order this month are 50% off. That's half price. That's cheaper than Amazon. That's cheaper than anywhere else you're going to find them. And uh, also for our, our, our fans who are into the Star Trek, with the uh, Star Trek uh, trade paperback Countdown to Darkness uh, from IDW, that is also 50% off. This and year, that is the preview to the upcoming Star Trek movie. Right. And there's been a lot of speculation because of stuff going on in that trade paperback as to, you know, for instance, Benedict Cumberbatch's true identity in the movie, things like that. So if you're looking forward to that and you're looking forward to the Star Trek, uh, you know, Into Darkness, this is the prelude. So you definitely want to check that out. Um, also, there's uh, getting there. Um, selling all the Marvel Now titles for the month of February. Pre-orders 50% off. That's, again, that's half price. And if you use the code WD8 on your first order or your first order with, uh, within a year, uh, you get another 8% off. So that's almost 60% off if you take advantage of this deal. So definitely check that out, dcbservice.com. And you can earn 5% from any Comixology, Diamond Digital, or My, Comics, uh, My Digital Comics orders as well. Uh, if you use the buttons on the DCBS homepage, you get another 5% off your digital comics. So they got you covered there, too. Uh, DCBService.com, we appreciate their support. Absolutely. So getting back to the episode, uh, Rick, Glenn, and Maggie finally get back to the prison. This is where Rick tells Carl and everyone that Daryl isn't coming back, and Carol is quite upset about this. And we get that scene with uh, Carol and Beth where Carol realized, I mean, we realize that she's still carrying baggage about Ed. After all this time, which kind of surprised me. After you know, I thought you know she'd be more torn up about Daryl, but she's still thinking about Ed, her abusive husband from season one. And I thought it was a really good scene, though, and it really helped cement and explain her relationship with Daryl. She sees Daryl as a very uh, kindred spirit, just because of the way her husband treated her and the way Merle treats Daryl. Um, she sympathizes with him in many ways. Absolutely. So, back over at Woodbury, Andrea goes to the governor, and Jim alluded to this earlier, and she asks him, you know, you need to go out and calm the people, uh, but he says, basically, this is wartime, and yet he holds Rick's group responsible for a bunch of deaths, including one that Elisa over on Facebook pointed out was named Heisenberg, which is a Breaking Bad reference. Nice. She also comes to him and she says, you know, she finds out that Maggie and Glenn were there, and she's like, wait, you were holding my friend's prisoner here while you were sleeping with me? Why didn't you tell me? And he tells her, you made no commitment to this town. This is my town. I live here. You're just passing through. I had no reason to tell you. Ice cold, baby. Ice cold. <laughs> and it was just weird to me that after that treatment of her by the governor, that she turns around and gives that, like, pseudo-Braveheart speech to the citizens of Woodbury soon after. You know what I mean? 
Well, she still wants to be accepted, even if, I mean, if anything, that just strengthened her resolve. He doesn't accept her there. She wants to be accepted. So back at the prison, uh, Tyrese and his people see Rick as he passes by to enter the cell block. And Rick looks at him, but he just continues walking and he doesn't even talk to him. Uh, he goes back to his group and he picks up uh, Judith, his daughter, and she cries in his arms and she doesn't stop crying. And, and you can see and you can hear in the way that they mix the sound that this is starting to freak him out. And so uh, he gives her back to, to Beth. And this is where Beth and, and Carol have that conversation that Jim talked about before. And like I said, it was a very good scene. And uh, at the end of the scene, I, I like this quite a bit. They had made a crib slash bassinet for Judith, and it was a postal crate. I don't know exactly what those are called, but it had a little ass kicker written on the side and what looked like Sharpie. Glenn and Maggie are still not really talking to each other from what we can tell in the next scene. And uh, Herschel definitely notices as well. He patches up Glenn's injuries and he, he talks to Glenn and he's very, he makes it very clear that he considers Glenn pretty much his son now. And, uh, and he says to both Glenn and then later he goes, talk, talks to Maggie and basically says, whatever's going on, you know, you two kids are made for each other. You need to fix this and work it out. Okay. You guys need to help me understand what's going on between the two of them. Cause I don't understand what the tension is. Glenn thinks that Maggie was raped by the governor. Okay, and so... And that, that Maggie is lying... And, well, wait, wait, wait. And on top of that, he thinks Maggie is lying to him about it by saying that she wasn't. I think that's what's going on here. And he's... Not only does he feel like his... You know, his, this woman that he loves has been violated by this evil, evil man that, you know, Rick let slip away and didn't kill. But also, on top of that, she... You know, he, he thinks that she actually was raped and that she's lying to him when actually she wasn't and it, she's telling the truth. I didn't get a sense that he thought she was lying to him, and I'm trying to put my shoes myself in in his shoes. If it was my woman, <laughs> if it was my wife, I guess they're you know, for lack of a better term, they're whatever. They're zombie married. Yeah, in zombie world, you know, common law, zombie law, married, whatever. <laughs> if it was my girlfriend, you know, I would. I don't know that I'd shy away or harbor resentment towards her and it feels like that's what he's doing i'm wondering if it's more of a a fact that he felt hopeless that he couldn't prevent it and he feels responsible in some way i I think it's a confluence of confluence of a lot of things i think it's what jim said i think it's what you said i think it's also that he feels in many ways responsible that he couldn't protect her that he didn't give up the, the location of the prison if he had given up the location of the prison she might have been left alone. In fact, she almost certainly would have been left alone. And they still found out where the prison was going to be anyway. And so he feels responsible. He feels betrayed. He feels lied to. He's been beaten to a pulp. Um, he's also blaming Rick for not going after the governor. Um, he's just, he's a, a maelstrom of emotion at this point. And I, I think at his age and with all these things that are happening to him, his reaction being strange kind of fits because I don't know how I'd react in that situation. Let, you know, and I don't think I could prepare myself for something like that. And I'd probably act weird and, and snap at the people I love and the people who didn't really hurt me even in that situation too. Plus, I mean, it didn't help the frayed nerves at all that Merle popped up in their party for a few minutes. You know, I mean, it, it riled up Michonne and Glenn and brought it all back, you know? So, 
I mean, there's a lot of a lot of raw nerves going on here. I mean, Rick is you know obviously at the top of Freak Out Mountain, but everybody else is, is following up. It seems close behind. We've all been there before, the top of that mountain. I used to own property up there. <laughs> the view, the view is breathtaking, but it's not a place you want to go often. Next up, Brad, we had that scene you were referring to earlier, um, back at Woodbury. Milton steps up at first, and he he basically just gives the facts to everybody in the town. And this is when Andrea gives her come to Jesus speech and motivates everybody and wins over the crowd. And it's, I have problems with it in that it's a dopey speech and everyone's won over everywhere anyway. But in the same sense, in general, people are pretty dumb and those type of speeches work. So I think I'm more upset that those type of speeches work than that she gave a dumb speech. I was just wondering where her motivation came from to give the speech. I mean, like you said, Jordan, obviously she likes to feel accepted and, and safe or whatever. But, I mean, after the what the governor had just told her about, you know, you're just passing through, you're just a visitor, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I'm, you know, I wonder where the motivation, you know, it, that, that's what bothered me most about it was the, the character's motivation to give such a inspiring speech to these people that, obviously, you know, basically she just was told that she's not a part of. Well, she still wants to protect them. They're still, you know, essentially innocent civilians. She doesn't want them to come to harm by hurting themselves or venturing out into the wilderness and being hurt. And I think it's also that she wanted to protect this, pardon me, she wanted to protect this haven. And for a while, it had been somebody else protecting it, and she was just enjoying the spoils of it. Well, now that the guy that was protecting it is losing his mind, she's like, nobody else is going to hold this together. It's up to me now. And this is when I wanted to bring up something about the town that I said I was going to wait. Now, we've seen, quote-unquote, the whole town. That's the words that uh, dude with glasses used. Uh, We've seen the whole town like three times in this episode now. We saw it uh, going backwards this time. We saw it when the zombies and the guys were trying to leave in their car, and then the zombies broke in. And we saw them at the beginning of the episode at the pit. Is it just me? Or does it feel like AMC slashed the budget as far as uh, extras for the, the town? It's like, this is a very small town, apparently. There's like maybe 30 people that live in it. I don't, it doesn't feel like there was Well, they many said earlier there, there for, was about 70. Well, it sure, sure as heck wasn't 70 in well, any of those scenes. 10 have been killed. 9 or 10 have been killed. Um, you have anybody who's still on guard duty around the walls, they're going to be left. So that's probably another 15 to 20 people. So what you're left with is going to be, yeah, you know, 35, 40 people. And I don't know, it, it, it felt like enough extras to me. Um, and it's not necessarily every single person in town who's there. You make a good point. I would, I would think that in seeing the town three different times, you know, we'd, I don't know. It, just, it it felt strange to me, but you do make a good point as far as you know. We saw him lose seven people this episode. You know, there are people constantly on guard duty, and and I had forgotten that. So maybe you know, maybe it's just we've been around it long enough that people just keep dying, and this is what all we got left. I guess that kind of makes sense. And I think something that people have mentioned before, I know, in the Facebook group, and I think we've talked about it before, the eventual, the eventual, you know, Woodbury prison confrontation, you know, that's going to, that they're building up to here. Um, I think they're trying to keep the numbers limited so it seems a little more realistic. I mean, 35 or 40 people who really have, like, no, you know, combat experience or, or shooting experience or anything like that versus, you know, Rick's group of, you know, 8 to 12 
Um, I, it seems a little more realistic than you know the you know a larger amount like say a hundred you know two hundred people or whatever you know charging the prison. This is true. Maybe in the end it'll all pay off. We can certainly hope so. So for the final scene of the episode, and it was a big one, uh, we head back to the prison, and uh, the group is all together now, and uh, they go into the room where Tyrese and his group are, and they start to discuss whether they should stay, and this is where Rick goes up to talk to him. Tyrese puts out his hand for a handshake, goodwill gesture. Rick completely ignores it. Uh, Tyrese introduces himself. He has to stay. You know, he says, I'll keep out of your hair. We'll scavenge for our own food and supplies. We'll help you with any trouble. Uh, Sasha also joins in. She pleads with Rick. Um, And pretty much everybody, or everyone who speaks up from Rick's group, wants them to stay. But Rick says, "Uh, you know, I can't take that risk. We've, We've had, we've dealt with this type of thing before. It did not end well. And that's when, you know, kind of continuing the uh, Rick's reaction to crying Judith from earlier. He then notices something out of the corner of his eye, and he looks up, and there is a woman who appears to be Lori, uh, shrouded in shadow, though, so you can barely see her. Um, and he starts to break down. He starts to yell at her. He pulls out his gun. What are you doing here? Why are you here? Get out of here! Get out of here! And everyone pretty much panics. Uh, Glenn ushers... Tyrese and his group into an adjacent room and everyone else pretty much scatters and gets as far away from Rick as possible uh, before he can accidentally hurt one of them or hurt himself and the episode ends. I think it's safe to say uh, that's probably intended for that to be Laurie. I mean, who else would he hallucinate? Oh, I think it's definitely supposed to be Laurie. So I I think it's safe to call her Glory. (laughs) The, um, The interesting part about that, I mean, at first he's like very very, you know, soft-spoken and kind of, he doesn't even look Tyrese in the eye. He just kind of looks down and says, no, no. But then when he sees Lori's, you know, ghost or whatever up on, on the balcony, he's almost yelling all that stuff to her. You know, you don't belong here. Get the hell out of here. Get out. And Tyrese and everybody else thinks he's yelling at Tyrese's group when actually it almost seems like he's yelling at Lori's ghost. You know, so it kind of, I don't know, it was a, it was a weird scene for me. And, and this is the second thing I wanted to mention in this episode that, you know Tyrese and his people are going to end up joining Rick's group. I mean, you know it's going to happen eventually. And now, and it just seems like, you know, with the, the you know, like with the Dixon brothers leaving, it just seems like an eventuality that they're just kind of putting off so they can, you know, I don't know, bring it down later in the season or whatever. But Well, I'm sure once once Rick gets demoted from leader, we've seen little clips of that in previews for the... Um for this half of the season, you know, we saw Carl say, I think you should stop being the leader and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm sure that once Herschel says, you know what, you're not in charge anymore. Uh, we're going to let Tyrese and his crew in, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll see that happen. I would be surprised if we didn't. I, I mean, we haven't seen much of Tyrese and, uh, I am very, very happy with, uh, his character so far. So you think that's how it's going to go down? That's your conjecture that they're going to, you know, make Rick step down from the Rick ship? Yeah, I can, I can, um, I can see that happening. I mean, it just feels like it would make sense. But then again, the show has always given us uh, 180 degree turns when we expected something else. So who knows? I agree on the call on Dick move, though. I mean, Rick is being a dick, and I would like to quote Will Wheaton and saying, "Rick, don't be a dick." Thank you. <laughs> I read an interview with uh, Robert Kirkman earlier today where he was talking about this uh, this scene, 
And I thought it was actually a very interesting note. And he talked about how, okay, so in the comics, uh, Rick meets Tyrese much earlier. He meets Tyrese before Herschel's farm, right? So in the comics, it's, you know, it's not, they're not always best of friends, but it's a very close bond and it, you know, it happens and he joins the group very quickly. But that's because it happened before all these other things. And so now when you introduce Tyrese this much later, you still have Rick being the same Rick. You still have Tyrese being, being the same Tyrese um, in their characterization. But it's just the simple passage of time and the events that have happened in between that is what creates this very different first meeting between Tyrese and Rick. And I thought that was uh, very interesting how you can still have the same characters and characterization, but just by changing some of those plot points around, uh, the results, at least initially, very, very different. I'm just glad to see Tyrese in the TV series. He's such a pivotal character in the comics. Um, I'm glad he finally made it in. Um, but I just, I don't know, I, I don't like to see Rick go this far off the rails. And I just hope he, um, they're able to, like, it's just, you know, Rick has, has tended, he's been the moral center through the whole thing. You know, people have, have gone this way and that way with the, you know, the, into the moral gray zone here with the, the zombie apocalypse, but Rick has been like the, the, the core that held everything together, and now that's falling apart. And now you have another faction of Woodbury who are also being held together by a guy who's falling apart. So, you know, it's just this really cool dichotomy right now. It's just, you know, who's going to be able to get it most together to, you know, to keep their way of life alive? It's just very interesting. I mean, the, I'm, I assume at the end of the season will be the, you know, the climactic uh, confrontation. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty realistic schedule, either the last episode or the second to last. Our second email is from our good buddy Aaron Neuwirth. Uh Hey dudes, The Walking Dead has returned, and that's all well and good, but I wouldn't call The Suicide King a momentous episode in any way, just one that brought us back to the depressing world these characters live in. Anyone expecting something big to occur in this mid-season premiere was probably disappointed in some way, but while I wouldn't say I was expecting something huge to happen, I did feel that this episode was fairly unspectacular, aside from some key moments that are standard for any Walking Dead episode. Main points. I really like Tyrese. His portrayal is going over well for me, especially since developing characters has been an issue for the show in the past. I think Herschel and Carol, of all people, were actually the standouts in this episode. I would agree, Herschel continues to impress me every single uh, episode. Standouts in this episode in terms of acting and presence in the story. Both had isolated conversations with a few of the other characters that were well-written and well-acted scenes that this show could use more of on a consistent level. That said, despite all the yelling and arguing in this episode... Norman Reedus's decision to go with Merle was another well-done scene, as Reedus and Andrew Lincoln have always been a good pairing. The Woodbury stuff was bad. That's really the way I can best sum it up. Andrea delivered a terrible speech to calm down the overacting extras. Hear, hear, Aaron. The governor came off as funny in his stride up to kill the bitten citizen in the street, as opposed to shocking or dramatic in any way. Nothing about the Woodbury side of the story worked that well for me this week, so hopefully they get their stuff together in the next few episodes. The spooky lorry ending brought this episode back for me overall, though. Rick's growing stress is becoming an issue that needs to be dealt with, and I like how it is manifesting itself. Decent episode overall, 3.5 out of 5 busters. Note, Rick not shaking Tyrese's hand was a dick move. I don't care how stressed he is. This is weird. His last sentence here is, I don't care how stressed he is, Everard Santa Marina. 
Everard is one of our is one of our uh, Facebook followers who posted some. Maybe he was he might have been referring to something that uh, Everard had written in Facebook or something. So we're gonna have to cut that out too, I guess. I'll just cut that last line. That's fine. Yeah, stop it at was a dick move. Yeah. I kind of felt the same for about two seconds, and then I realized he's just trying to protect his family. I mean, you know, maybe he's overreacting, yeah, but, I I mean, I I understand. Yeah, he's not willing to put forward that that show of good faith when he's he, he has no intention of letting them stay. So this episode, uh, like Walking Dead has so many times before, broke basic cable ratings records. Uh, this episode got 12.3 million total viewers at just the 9 p.m. airing. Uh, this broke their previous record of 10.3 million and sets yet another, you know, like I said, basic cable record for any show. Uh, but so 12.3 million is the brand new, brand new winning number. Continues to be very impressive. I think word of mouth definitely on this show. I mean, more and more people talk about it, and more and more people want to watch it. Uh, the fact the first two seasons are available on Netflix, I think, has really added a lot of momentum to the show. And it's 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 weird, uh, you know, as a phenomenon, much the same way the comic book grew from an indie comic that almost nobody bought to, uh, you know, one of the, uh, you know, it's on the best you know, New York Times bestseller list now, the trade paperbacks and whatnot. The TV show has grown and grown and grown as well. So it's kind of opposite of what usually a television show will start, start strong and then, you know, lose its audience by attrition. And this is exactly the opposite. I would, if I also had to guess, I would probably say it's rise in numbers probably came from, in many ways, you know, a lot of people stopped watching the show in season two because they were getting bored with it, especially in that first half. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was, you know, like you said, the, the word of mouth that, hey, season three got really, really good and really crazy that brought all these people back in. So another Facebook comment I, uh, we had that I wanted to talk about was from Everard, and he, he, he posted this. For those looking for the Michonne motivation for the hatred towards the governor and for her loyalty to Andrea, what do y'all think of Merle's baiting her? I kind of suspected unrequited feelings from the get-go, but didn't want to throw something out there too salacious without something else to go on. So he's referring to, uh, there's a scene we kind of skipped over, but the scene where Merle and Daryl, or Daryl decides to go off with Merle into the woods and leave the rest of the group behind. Uh, Merle insinuates that there was more than just friendship between Andrea and Michonne, at least on Michonne's part, that Michonne might have had stronger feelings there. She does not take too kindly to that. So what do you think? Do you think there's any legitimacy to uh, Everard's assumption there? That Merle was right? No, I just think Merle's being a dick stirring a pot. I think it's as simple as that. I think you could interpret it either way. I don't think it's overt. You know, either way, and it really, it, other than, you know, that you know that Michonne and Andrea spend time together and are friends, it really doesn't impact the plot in any way, so. But I, I agree, there's definitely a, a certain amount of uh, baiting there from Merle. I mean, Merle, that's his whole deal. He gets under your skin, you know, they even, I think there's even a line like that in this episode, you know, a man like Merle gets under your skin. He does, you know, that's his whole deal. He, he looks for the buttons, and then he goes and he pushes those buttons until they break off, you know. And uh, he was definitely doing that with Michonne. And I think I'd be fine with it either way, whether it was just him baiting her or whether he was actually right. Either way, could make for interesting stories. So, why don't we talk some Buster ratings? Brad, what do you give this episode? I was going to give it a three. It wasn't uh, what I wanted from 
a return from the show. It wasn't horrible. It was this was no season two episode. I'll give you that. Uh, but I ended up giving it a three and a half simply because of uh, the appearance of Glory that really knocked it over another notch for me. I was also, I'm also going with three and a half. Um, it there were parts of it I liked, parts of it I didn't like, and uh, I, I didn't really expect a lot of bombast after the last episode and everything that had happened all at once and that. But uh, I definitely you know I, I liked more of it that I didn't like. But again, there are some points as I mentioned during the. You know, synopsis that, that kind of bothered me some. 3.5. I think I'll give this one a solid 4. Um, yes, it was a little bit of a slower episode, but I thought that the talkie scenes were put to good use. We finally had Michonne coming clean. We finally had the governor coming clean. Pretty much everybody knows what's going on now, and that was one of our big problems in the first half of the season, was just that no one is telling anyone anything. And now they finally have, so at least we've got kind of a... I don't want to say a flesh a fresh slate there, clean slate, but at least everyone's on the right on on the same foot, on the same page, and they can go from there. So solid episode, not spectacular, but solid. Jim, what do the fine people on Facebook have to say about this episode? Well, first of all, I'd like to say we have a very active Facebook page of the Walking Dead TV podcast on the Facebook, so check us out. Um, we had a lot of uh, a lot of Buster ratings this episode. We had uh, five Scooby Doo ghosts out of five by uh, Constant Poster and Mike Jones. Mike, thanks for always being there for us. Uh, Robert Nigro gave it a three seven five. New Knight three seven five. Um, somebody named Brad Milio, Milio, Mil- Mil- I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm sorry. It's one of those Texas Sounds names, French. Sounds like a Maybe. DB. It, it's for it, it, it's uh, Spanish for whales. Uh, gave it a three, four, uh, three and a half uh, T-Dogs out of five. Uh, Terry Bernard said he thought it was all right about a three-five. Michael Santana, 4.5 curb stop zombie craniums. Outstanding episode. Thought that Merle and Daryl walking off was a great way to place more attention on the inevitable prison confrontation to come. Maybe a heroic turn during a big battle. Uh, something we mentioned earlier on the episode. Uh, Elisa gave it a four out of five Heisenberg references. Obviously, she too is a Breaking Bad fan. Uh, Philip Heard, three and a half ish T Dogs. Uh, Amy J. Sun gave it 4.5 Busters. Not a big fan of the Lori Ghost, and it seems Rick finally fell out of the crazy tree. <laughs> I could not agree more. Um, 3.5 Zombies jumping out of a park to pick up from Crystal Cornelius. Uh, Echo Alpha gives us four and a half busters out of five. Um, Johnny M, who could not be with us, unfortunately, tonight, said, I'm in the three range, maybe 3.5. Wanted more out of the highest return episode. This was a little slow, not bad, not great. So he's about where Brad and I were on it. Um, Herschel was the best part of the episode, said Newt Knight. I could not agree more. Tammy Klein gave it 3.75 out of five busters. I think splitting up the group will make it interesting. At the same time, I hope they dedicate sufficient time to each group to move the story forward at a decent pace. And Jimmy Tucker gave it a four and a half busters uh, out of five. Great episode. Like the blend of action, character moments, and crazy Rick. And again, if you'd like to uh, be a part of the group here on our Facebook page, it's Walking Dead TV Podcast on the Facebooks. Check us out. And a few more. Uh, Luke gave us uh, a 4 out of 5. Brian gave it a 4.5. And Leslie gave it a 3.75. So lots and lots of ratings from the listeners this week. And Shane Jenkins, brother of Leroy Jenkins. No, I'm kidding. uh, Gives it a 3.75 Andrea Independence Day-like speeches. (laughs) Jim mentioned Crazy Rick. I think if we're going to start referring to Ghost Lori as Glory, we should call uh, Crazy Rick Crick. The Adventures of Glory and Crick. Glory and Crick. 
By the way, Shogo67 on Twitter says three and a half T-Dogs out of five. Good return episode. Well-paced with some necessary character moments to set the stage for the next episodes. Yeah, I want to see where Crick goes next week. Absolutely. When you say absolutely like that, are you paraphrasing something you've seen on Adult Swim? No, I just emphasize certain syllables sometimes, and I just watched all of House of Cards on Netflix, which is fantastic, by the way. Um, and the Kevin Spacey is from Georgia, I believe, in the show, and has a, a thick and delightful southern accent. Okay, He's, he's from Carolina, actually. I, I oh, okay. watched House of it, Cards, too. It was the Peach Tower in the one episode. <laughs> Carolina boy there. like him, a rack of ribs, is quite a luxury, even at 7 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Anything else for this episode, guys? I'm spent. Yeah, that was more than we needed to know. No, I think we're good. Jim, why don't you tell the fine listeners how they can contact us? <laughs> Surely I will. <laughs> Y'all giving me the vapors. <laughs> you had the vapors long before you came around here, so... Say, say hello to all Colonel Angus. Um, if you would like to get in touch with us, uh, the WDTV podcast, there are many and various ways you can do so. You can leave us a voicemail, 516-468-7912, or you can email uh, your comments at comments at walkingdeadtv.com. We have uh, hhwlod.com is a whole network, a plethora of podcasting goodness, including great shows like Half Hour Wasted that Brad is on, uh, Legion of Dudes that Jordan and I are on, the uh, Black Box podcast, which neither of us are on, but we've all guested on, and Out Now with Aaron Abe, our weekly movie review podcast. Check out all that and more at hhwlod.com um, or uh, com, whichever is easier for you to remember. Um, you can check us out on Twitter at WDTVpodcast and at hhwlod underscore network. So until there's no room or room in hell... Why are you going to steal it from me, brother? Dude... I, I just, I'm like Ron Burgundy. If it's written here, I have to read it. So until there's no more room in hell in the dead walk the earth, remember, that's not your dead wife up on the catwalk. You just have the vapors. Have a good week, everybody. All right, and next week on The Walking Dead, mild, mild spoilers as usual. This is just the summary provided by AMC for next week's episode, which is entitled Home. And for the summary, they have The group debates the next step. Rick searches for a lost friend. Daryl and Merle question their choices. The governor restores order. Sounds like a good one. See y'all next week. We should probably just start all the way over. This is like the weirdest beginning to one of these episodes. It'll be a good blooper, though. <laughs> well, we can just keep going. We'll, we'll send you a case of steaks out of petty cash. How many steaks come in a case? Whenever you're ready, Captain right. Segway. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Captain Segway. So until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, that's not your dead wife up on the catwalk. You just have the vapors. I might use that version instead. Did I lose you guys? Oh, no, we're here. I'm okay. just waiting to hit the button. We're listening to your brilliance. Just basking in your BS. I don't know. I liked your vapors line. I was going to steal it.